Good morning. It is good to be in this place this morning. It's a busy time. It seems like I say that all the time. I think it's always a busy time here at Netherwood Park. But some things are coming up that are really important to the life of this church. The first thing that we need to all be remembering and keeping in our prayers and planning on participating in is our annual trunk or treat. That is this coming Saturday night from 6 to 8. We need people to bring their cars and their candy and dress up. And we'll be interacting with lots of people from our community. Uh, We'll be showing them the love of Christ. And as a family, we'll just be having a good time together. Also, you'll find in your bulletin a green sheet. Looks just like this one. And it tells you about our Fall Pack the Pulpit event that's coming up in just two Sundays. This is a very important event. Uh, We feed a lot of people from our community, both food boxes and also sack lunches. And then also in the fall, our teens take food boxes to people in our community that just need some help during the holidays with their food needs. And it's really important that we bring a lot of food, that we pack this pulpit with food, that you donate your cash so that we can continue to serve people in our community like we have been. So Please take a look at this. Please be praying about that. And let's plan on two weeks in completely packing this pulpit. I keep thinking I should make the offer that if it's like completely full and I can't get up here, we just won't have a sermon that Sunday. Um, But I don't want to be embarrassed when it's like so much food and then the next week it happens again. And then eventually I won't be able to get that beach house that Josh talked about. So we don't want that to happen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, it's been a difficult week. And Father, we thank you that we can come to this place, uh, a place where we find peace and comfort and healing. And Father, as we go into this sermon, um, our minds are in lots of different places. And Father, we're especially thinking about Lori and Christian. And Father, we pray your special blessings on them. Father, watch over them and and comfort them, give them peace. And Father, help us to be the church family that they need to get them through this very difficult time. And Father, we trust that you are doing that and that you will do that and that you will use us. And Father, we thank you for being that kind of Father, one who loves us that much. And Father, we pray this through your Son, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. So we are in the fifth week of our sermon series that's called On Target, where we're talking about sexual relationships God's way. We're having a family conversation about that. And we're building this conversation on, and we're building this conversation around two foundational truths, two foundational truths that we have affirmed and that we will continue to affirm throughout this sermon series. And the first truth that we continue to affirm is that there is a target And we're also affirming that that target is found in God's word. God has revealed to us that some things are right and some things are wrong. And these are far from arbitrary rules that are passed down to us from some distant deity. No, we're affirming that the Bible reveals the desires of a loving father for his children. And he does that because he wants what is best for us. So we're rejecting the notion that we are simply free to follow wherever our hearts might take us, wherever our hearts might please to take us. See, our desire is that God's will be done in our lives, not our will. We're also rejecting the tendency to follow our hearts wherever we please and then try to conform God's word to our actions. 
And instead, what we want to be are people who allow God to transform us, transform our lives and transform our actions to Jesus Christ, to God's Word who was made flesh. And through this series, as we look at various relationships in our lives, we're also standing on the truth that there is one relationship that is central to all of our other relationships. There's one relationship that is vital to all of our other relationships. And there's one relationship that takes priority and takes precedence over all of our other relationships. And that central and vital and preeminent relationship is with Jesus Christ. We affirm that our relationship with Jesus Christ is both necessary and it's sufficient. Jesus is what we need and Jesus is all we need. And today as we talk about on-target marriages, it's important for us to keep those foundational truths in mind. It's also important for us to remember the conversation that we had last week about on-target dating Those of you who are here last week or who listened to that sermon on the podcast will remember that we define dating as the way our culture manages the transition from singleness to married. It's that transition. That's the way we do it in our culture. And we talked about last week that the way our culture manages that transition is very much off target. It's off target because dating in our culture is very much a follow-your-heart process. And it's based almost solely on physical and sexual attraction. And the problem for us as followers of Jesus Christ is that when it comes to dating, the church is largely indistinguishable from the culture around us. And as we move into talking about marriage, it shouldn't surprise us that the way we date, the way we manage that transition from singleness to married has greatly impacted our marriages. See, it shouldn't surprise us that since we date like our culture dates, our marriages also are often indistinguishable from our culture. So just as last week we stressed the importance of dating that stands counter to our culture, this week we will stress the importance of having counter-cultural marriages of having marriages that reject and oppose the dominant values and the dominant behaviors of the marriages in our society, especially when it comes to sexual behavior and sexual attitudes in our marriages. We need to recognize that there are two very very dangerous storylines in our culture very dangerous storylines in our culture about sex, and they have negatively affected our relationships, and they have helped take them off target. We need to understand that these two storylines are told and repeated over and over again in our culture. They're in our romance novels, they're in our TV shows, they're in our movies, they're in our magazines, they're in our websites. And sadly, increasingly, we're exposed to them through pornography. And there is overwhelming evidence that shows that our views about love and our views about sex and our views about marriage are being shaped more by the stories our culture is telling us than by the values that were passed on to us by our parents. They're shaped more by our culture than by our church's values, and they're shaped more by our culture even than by what we know God values. 
And the first dangerous storyline that's told by our culture says that sex is merely a physical appetite. Just a physical appetite to be satisfied. And that story goes something like this. It says, sex is just like hunger and it's just like thirst. And when we're hungry, what do we do? Well, we eat. And when we're thirsty, what do we do? Well, we drink. And so our culture tells us if we have sexual desire, if we feel sexual desire, we should just satisfy it. Just like we satisfy any other appetite in any way that we're able to and in any way that we please. And this is a very low view of sex. It's an animalistic view of sex. It's a primitive view of sex. It says that sex is just another physical appetite just to be satisfied And not surprisingly, that low view of sex contributes to a very low view of marriage. A low view of marriage where marriage is treated as just one of any number of ways of possible different ways that we might satisfy our physical desires. And where marriage can be abandoned. Abandoned just to to go and pursue our appetites, because if we don't feel like they're being satisfied within our marriage, then we're free to pursue them elsewhere. So that's a storyline that says sex is an appetite, and it has a very low view of sex and a very low view of marriage. Then there's a second dangerous storyline from our culture. It's a very different storyline, and it tells a very different tale. See, this storyline says that sex is all about individual fulfillment. And the key word in this story is individual. This is actually a very high view of sex, but it's also a very selfish view. See, this view says that physical intimacy is worth pursuing, but it's worth pursuing because of what it does for me. What it does for me on a physical level, what it does for me on an emotional level, even what it does for me on a mystical level. So it's worth pursuing because of what it can do for me. But the high view of sex that's brought on by this storyline doesn't come along with a high view of marriage. See, this view also contributes to a low view of marriage. It contributes to a low view of marriage because it says physical intimacy isn't about us. It's about me. It says that I should be able to pursue my needs with whomever I please, whenever I please, and wherever I please. So this storyline that says sex is about individual fulfillment speaks to a high view of sex, but also a very low view of marriage. And I also have to mention another Storyline, And this one is equally dangerous, but this is a storyline that unfortunately has been told within church cultures for years and years. And this storyline says that sex is just a necessary evil. It's something that should be engaged in only to procreate, only to reproduce. This may be the lowest view of sex of them all. It's a utilitarian view. It removes love from the story. It removes intimacy from the story. It removes pleasure from the story. And this is a view that claims that it has a high view of marriage, but at the same time it undercuts marriages by robbing them of the profound physical and emotional and spiritual expression that should be found within a loving, intimate, and pleasurable marriage.
So three different dangerous storylines about marriage. And if we in the church are listening to those storylines, no wonder so many of our marriages are off target. They're off target because when sex within our marriages is shaped by our culture, it leads to unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations about love and unrealistic expectations about sex and unrealistic expectations about marriage itself. It leads to unrealistic expectations about attraction and unrealistic expectations about appearance and unrealistic expectations about performance. And those unrealistic expectations lead us to make some incredibly damaging decisions. See, when our spouses and our relationships don't meet the false expectations we've adopted from books and movies and TVs and other things within our culture, what do we often do? Well, we become dissatisfied, dissatisfied with our spouses and dissatisfied with our marriages, and that leads to anger and it leads to resentment. And then the pressure comes and blame is laid at the feet of our spouses and then guilt occurs. And then our marriages do start to look like the marriages that we see in popular entertainment and culture. But they look like those bad marriages that we see in the movies all of the time. And what does our culture tell us to do that if you feel like you're in a bad marriage, what should you do? Well, it says you should just simply move on. Move on to another relationship. Maybe that one will meet your expectations. So then marriages become disposable. They become something to be used. Something to be used as long as they're meeting your expectations. And then just discarded whenever they no longer do. See, our culture increasingly has a consumer view of marriage and a consumer view of sex. A consumer view. What does that mean? A consumer view of marriage. Well, think about it. We have all kinds of consumer relationships, don't we? And those relationships last as long as the vendor, the store, the service provider, as long as the vendor meets your needs at a cost that's acceptable to you. But if another vendor, if another store, if another service provider comes along and they offer better services or better products at a better price, what do we feel free to do? Well, we feel free to change vendors, change stores, change service providers, right? We change grocery stores, we change gas stations, we change coffee shops, we change dentists, we change whatever we need to change in order to meet our needs. And we feel free to do that because in consumer relationships, we accept that individual needs, the consumer's needs are more important than that relationship. Now stop for a moment and apply that to marriage. See, when we accept our, our culture's consumer view of marriage and our, our culture's consumer view of sex, what are we accepting? Well, we're accepting that individual needs are more important than the relationship. And we're also accepting that individual needs are more important than the needs of our husbands and the needs of our wives And if we accept that consumer view of marriage, then the storyline sounds something like this. If I can get my needs met by someone else with less investment on my part, 
then I have no obligation to stay in this relationship. And I hope that I don't need to tell you, my brothers and sisters, that that storyline is way off target. But so is the storyline that says marriage and sex are necessary evils. That's also way off target. That they're necessary evils to be endured in the absence of love, in the absence of intimacy, in the absence of pleasure. See, it's also off target to treat sex within marriage in a way that only brings about shame and only brings about guilt. None of these storylines are God's storyline. None of them are God's storyline about sex and marriage. God's storyline has a very high view of marriage and has a very high view of sex within marriage. So let's talk for just a moment about God's storyline. Let's talk about on-target marriages. And you probably won't be surprised to hear me say that on-target marriages are marriages that stand counter to our culture. They're marriages that tell a very different story. And that story begins at the very beginning. Genesis 2 and verse 20. For Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. See, that's the beginning of the counter-cultural story. God created man and God created woman and he created them for each other. And God gave, God gifted Eve to Adam for them to be united with each other, for them to be super glued to each other. So that they could become one flesh, one creation, physically and emotionally and spiritually and without any shame and without any guilt. So on-target marriages recognize that marriage and sex within marriage are God's good gifts. They're God's good creation and his good gifts. And We need to stand up and say it's time for his people to reclaim God's good creation. It's time for his people to reclaim his good gifts. It's time for us to tell God's story through our marriages. And not only are sex and marriage gifts from God, they're also intended to bring glory to our God. Listen to Paul's words in Ephesians 5. Starting with verse 22, he says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife 
loves himself. After all, no one hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. And for this reason, this should sound familiar, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Let's talk about countercultural. A storyline that talks about submission to your husband. A storyline that focuses on giving yourself up for your wife. A storyline that celebrates sacrifice. A storyline that celebrates loving care. A storyline that celebrates respect. See, on-target marriages are covenant marriages. They're living examples. They're a living demonstration of the new covenant that God made with his church and sealed with the sacrifice of his son, with Jesus Christ. On-target marriages aren't consumer marriages. They're covenant marriages. They're marriages where the good of the relationship and the good of my spouse take precedence over my needs and over my desires. So countercultural marriages tell a story, a very different story. They tell the story that marriage and sex are intended for the glory of God. And once more, let me say, it's time for his people, for God's people, to tell that story to our culture. And tell that story to our culture by putting our covenant marriages on display for everyone to see. And they'll see that countercultural marriages aren't disposable marriages. Listen to what Jesus says. Jesus comments about God's intentions for marriage from the very beginning in Matthew chapter 19. In verse 4, Jesus says, At the beginning, the Creator made them male and female. And he said, For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they, husband and wife, are no longer two, but they are one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let man not separate. There's been a lot of attention lately. For very obvious reasons, there's been a lot of attention about the male and female focus of this verse. Let me tell you, our countercultural story must continue to affirm that marriage is between one man and one woman. But that can't be the entire countercultural story. It can't be the whole story. See, we also must tell this one flesh story. We also must tell the story that on-target marriages, God's marriages, are truly one man with one woman, but they're one man with one woman forever. They're becoming one person. They're monogamous marriages. They're lifetime marriages. They're not disposable marriages. So we, through our marriages, must tell the story to our culture of one woman with one man, monogamous for life. We must tell that story to our culture with our marriages. We also must tell the story, the countercultural story, that in our marriages there are no second-class citizens. We must demonstrate that we, husbands and wives, were created by God in His image 
as his children. And as his children, we are sacred beings and we are made for each other. We weren't made to be objects for each other's pleasure. We were made as gifts to be treasured by each other. And through our marriages, we must tell the countercultural story that marriage isn't about insecurity and it isn't about guilt and it isn't about shame. No, we must tell the story through our marriages that marriages provide security. And that security that they provide allows us to have pleasure and it allows us to be vulnerable and it allows us to do that over the long haul. Not just when we're young and pretty, but for the long haul. I'm always really touched by one little verse, a picture that's painted by that verse in the garden. And it's that verse in Genesis 2.25. And it simply says, The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. You know, there are really only two ways to completely avoid shame. One way is to be completely perfect. And none of us are able to do that. But the other way to avoid shame is to know that you're loved. It's to know that you're accepted. It's to know that you're forgiven. And marriages that are filled with love and are filled with acceptance and are filled with forgiveness and are filled with security, in those marriages there is no shame. And those marriages will stand counter to our culture and they'll tell the story that God's way is truly a better way. We also need to understand that if we are truly going to have countercultural marriages, those marriages won't ask questions like, how close is too close? Or how far is too far? No, those marriages and the people in those marriages will take very seriously Paul's advice to literally flee sexual immorality even the hint of sexual immorality. And our countercultural marriages will be marriages that are marked by selflessness, not by our culture's selfishness. Throughout this series, we've spent quite a bit of time in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 7. I want to read a little bit more of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 this morning. Verse 1, Paul writes... It's good for a man not to marry. But since there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. And the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and then likewise the wife to her husband. And then comes the part that a lot of times we kind of skip over. Paul says the wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. And in the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. See, countercultural marriages tell a selfless story. They tell a story that says, it's not about me. They tell a story that asks different questions. Instead of asking, what am I going to get? Those marriages ask, what can I give? And instead of asking what's in it for me, they ask, what can I do for you? Their focus is on giving, not on taking. 
And if we're going to have countercultural marriages, our marriages and our physical intimacy within our marriages won't be all about self-gratification. And it won't be about self-gratification because we reject our culture story that our spouses are objects to be used for our pleasure. Hear all those personal pronouns in there? For our pleasure. And related to that, our marriages and our physical intimacy within our marriages, they won't be selfish. See, selfish love really isn't love at all. Love that's all about me, love that's all about my desires, love that's all about my needs, that doesn't tell God's story. That just tells culture story that our spouses are there to be used to love ourselves. And the most powerful way that we can tell our culture the true story that we don't live in a sexual marketplace, the most powerful way that we can do that is through selfless love. Love that is and continues to be and always will be one flesh love. It will be forever love. It will be enduring love. There will be love that is super glued together and can't be separated. That will tell, in a powerful way, our culture, the true storyline. That we don't live in a sexual marketplace. We live in God's world. So my prayer for us is that our marriages, our marriages will tell a different story to the world around us. And my prayer for our marriages is that what God has joined together, let no one and no thing ever separate. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your good creation. We thank you for your good gifts. Father, help our marriages bring glory to you. Father, give us the wisdom and the strength and the understanding to flee all sexual immorality. Father, give us the humility to give instead of taking in our marriages. Give us the humility to serve instead of seeking to be served. And Father, what you have joined together, let nothing separate. And Father, we pray that you and you alone will reign in us. We pray this through your son, Jesus, who is the Christ. We're going to close by singing a song. And I want to leave you with two questions to be pondering as we sing this song. Questions very similar to the questions we asked last week. But I want to talk to all of you who are married in this audience and all of you who will be married who are in this audience. I'm going to ask you this question. Which of your marriages are going to dare to be countercultural? And for all the rest of us, I want to ask, what are we going to do to help our marriages be countercultural? May God reign in us. Let's stand. Let's sing. Sing, Lord, like a shepherd.